happy to be here with you guys. Yay. Okay. I am happy to be here with you guys. I'm with them all the time. I love them, but I'm with them all the time. Yeah, yeah they're, probably, they're probably a little annoying. It's like, you know how you got like your immediate family and then you've got like your cousins? Yeah, yeah. And it's always fun to go visit your cousins. Mm-hmm. Like, at least for me. I love visiting my cousins. That's, that's great. Like, I'm you know, visiting my aunt, uncle, and my cousins. You know? well, my so. cousins are like 40. And I left my brothers and sisters at home. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, I of course I miss them, but they'll be okay. Are you talking about prophecy? What are we talking about? The worth of Jesus. So let's start with that. What does that even mean to you? So today's going to be more interactive since we're a smaller group, which I actually really like. And then we're going to work through some of these notes, and then we're going to do a Q and A, and you can ask me whatever you want. Okay. So, what does it mean when I when I say we're going to talk about the worth of Jesus? What is worth of Jesus? What comes to your mind? I'll give you my perspective. When I first heard the term or the class, or we're going to preach on the worth of Jesus, I'm like, what does that even mean? What do you mean? We're talking about what Jesus is worth, or why he's worthy? Like, I just didn't have a gauge for that. It just was like. I know he's worthy, but he's worthy of it all, right? We know the song, you're worthy of it all, right? Like, you know that song. But it's like, what what, what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is worthy? What makes him worthy? He's God, okay. It's a good start. He is worthy, yeah. What I'm going to do tonight, you guys, to help paint a picture, because I think it's kind of a weird phrase, to be honest with you work of Jesus. It's like, we can't really totally grasp it. Mm-hmm. We're going to be searching it out forever, mm-hmm. yet there's things about himself that he reveals to us that helps us connect with why he's worthy of what? Night and day prayer, right? That's what we're talking about right now, but it's even beyond night and day prayer. It's why he's worthy of your life. It's why he's worthy of every choice that you make. It's why he's worthy of your obedience and your loyalty and your faithfulness and um, you know, he's worthy of you loving other people well. <laughs> like, it goes so many different directions, and we have to be connected with this. And really what we're saying is we have to know what he's like and who he is, his character. Mm-hmm. Because it's his personality and it's his character that make him worthy. And so there's a few things I want to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about um, why we need to talk about the worth of Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus' identity in Colossians 1.15. <coughs> Mm-hmm. Through 20, we're going to talk about Jesus um, as the, the fullness of the mystery of God. Okay, we're going to look at the mystery of the Messiah, how he's the Messiah, how he displayed himself on the cross, mm-hmm. how he's the great intercessor, what that means. And then I'm going to give you one a one-liner that proves why Jesus is worthy. Just one one line that kind of summarizes everything. And as we're going through this, you all are going to help me, and you're going to look through some verses, hey, that I have for you, because we're going to go on a, a little treasure hunt through the scripture. How's that sound? That sounds so fun. I love Okay. So, tonight we're talking, let me pray, and then we'll get going. So, Lord, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you, um, 
for these four interns that love you, that are here, that are hungry for you. I ask, Lord, for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to rest on them, and I ask, God, that you would um, capture their heart with how spectacular you are. Lord, I'm asking that you would um, remove everything that's trying to distract us, every hindrance, every emotional thing that's trying to come in and rob us of this time where we look at you and talk about you, Jesus. We, we love you. Come and show us who you are more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we're talking about the different aspects of Jesus' personality. That's another way to say this. Because his personality is what helps you under, helps you and I understand why he's worthy of the nations, his inheritance of the nations, why he's going to have every knee is going to bow, mm-hmm. and why the, God the Father, this is what's really crazy, ready? We're going to look at how God the Father views Jesus and why the Father says Jesus is worthy to receive the inheritance of the nations. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about that? Father, what do you like about Jesus? Mm-hmm. It's John 15. That's what I try to start every day with. Lord, Father, how do you feel about your son? The love you have for him, would you give it to me? Put it in me. Mm-hmm. The way that you admire your son or proud of your son, would you put that love in me? Help me to see mm-hmm. Jesus the way you see Jesus, Father. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, how do you see the Father? And what is it about him that you love, that you so like about him? Would you show me that? This is the mm-hmm. conversation that we're, that we're in with him constantly. And as we talk with him about that, he reveals this to us. It is so important that you know the answer to why is Jesus worthy Mm-hmm. Because we live in times of social and spiritual confusion unlike any other time in history. Yeah. Okay? And some people say, well, it's all the same. It's never really changed. Well, it has changed. There's never been information yeah. available like there is now. Mm-hmm. So with more information available, more confusion is possible. Yeah? So true. Okay? So if you hear someone, a story about your friend from one person... And ten other people have the story too? Is the information all the same? Not a chance. It's going to be different. Why? Because more information, the real truth can get get convoluted. So it's important for us to step back and take a look at the big picture of God's plan. Mm -hmm. And we start by looking at who Jesus is. Who he was to so many and who he is now. And if we really want to know truth, we must know him. What's the famous phrase today that everyone likes throwing out about truth? I'm glad it's true for you. Uh, Well, it's just my truth. (laughs) No, it's your experience, which is valid. Mm. But that doesn't make anything true. (laughs) Okay, Your experience is real, and it's a real thing that's happened, but that doesn't make anything necessarily true just based off your experience. Mm -hmm. Okay, my experience is... I'm poor. Well, there's not, that must mean there's not a lot of money. There's no money in the world. Well, that's just my truth because I, I grew up poor. Mm. There's no money in the world. There's trillions of dollars in the world. More than that, right? My experience doesn't always speak to what's true, and that's a silly ex- example. But here's the other thing is that truth is objective. Um, I love just watching videos to try and stretch my brain about truth. What is that? You know, <coughs> Dallas Willard. Anybody heard of Dallas Willard in here? Mm-hmm. Dallas Willard. Willard. Uh, me and Dan have talked about him a little bit. So and good. I love what Dallas said. He, um, 
I mean, he says this, and other uh, <coughs> philosophers say this too, that if you don't believe that there's an objective truth, meaning that there's one truth, that statement in itself is an objective truth statement. There, are you guys with me? There, I'm, you can say no, because I'm really asking. Say one more time. Okay, so, well, what does objective truth mean? There's one truth. There's one truth, right? It's objective. It's outside of just one person. Mm -hmm. What is a subjective or relative truth would be? It's true for you, but it's not necessarily true for you, right? But there is an objective truth, meaning we've got all these religions, we've got all these different spiritual beliefs. One of them has to be true, right? That's an objective truth. But when someone says, well, there's no objective truth, well, I can ask them, is that a true statement? Is that a true statement? And then they go, yeah, it's a true statement. I go, well, that's an objective truth. Well, yeah. The, the, Yes, does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. You guys, that's very important because that's just a very simple way to see that when people tell you there's multiple truths, there's no objective truth, that <laughs> statement right there is an objective truth statement. Right. They, they, yeah, I get it. Do you guys get what I'm saying? Yeah. The reason I'm saying this is because there's an attack on truth, mm -hmm. especially in your generation. Mm-hmm. We want to validate how everyone feels, therefore we, whatever they say is true, not true. What you feel is real, mm -hmm. but what you feel does not dictate what's true. Mm -hmm. What's true can help form and shape what you're feeling if you allow it to. Mm -hmm. And this is important because the Bible is under attack on this. I listen to Joe Rogan sometimes. Anybody listen to Joe Rogan's podcast? You guys know who Joe Rogan is, right? Oh my, okay, Joe Rogan is the most, it's the most popular podcast oh. in the world. It's the number one ranked podcast on Spotify. You guys don't know the so podcast? Wait, it might just be a generational thing. That's all right. You're a kind of Joe Rogan, it's a, maybe a millennial thing. That's probably what it is. But Joe Rogan. Anyways, he brings on all of these super brilliant guests onto his show. They talk about these crazy topics. I mean, he, he, talk, like Elon Musk he had Elon Musk on. Um, right. He's had all. He's had Jordan Peterson on. You guys know who Jordan Peterson is? Oh my no. gosh! Okay, we just need to have. We need to just hang out. <laughs> but my point is this: Joe Rogan is like the guy who brings. He brings everybody on to talk about everything. Mm. And I heard Joe Rogan just blasting the Bible, calling the Bible nothing mm. but myth. Mm. And I'm go and my heart is breaking because I'm like, one, you are totally ignorant. <laughs> like, the Bible is the most accurate book ever written in history. It's the most significant book ever written. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people that it took to keep the um, integrity of the Bible intact. Mm -hmm. it, it's just he was just talking out of his rear end, to be totally honest with you. <laughs> and you know it's like but he has the most impact you guys on what mm. people are listening and believing about the bible think mm. about that mm. if the most popular podcast guy mm. is shouting from the rooftops that the bible is a myth mm. that is a problem mm. because there's ways to prove something is true And so there is a war against the scripture, against truth, 
And so we have to be able to address that, and it starts by looking at Jesus. All of history is racing really towards one thing, and that's the worship of Jesus. Mm. The question that we ask is, is Jesus enough to love him with all of our heart, to give him unceasing worship and prayer in a city? Mm. If you weren't going to receive any breakthrough in your life, would you continue to give him what he's worth? If your life didn't change, if the things you're, not, you're hoping for didn't happen, mm. what is your heart posture? Mm towards him. Is he still worth it? Mm-hmm. Or are we just worshiping and praying to get something yeah. from him? He is not a vending machine. Mm. He demands worship and adoration around the clock just by who he is alone mm-hmm. and not anything he's even done. Mm-hmm. So good. The thing that's going to keep us faithful to do this night and day prayer thing and, to, and really, to be honest with you, the thing that's going to keep you faithful just to love Jesus in your life is going to be understanding that he's worthy of it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to love Jesus well just because you want revival or breakthrough in your life. Blessings don't help you love Jesus well. Anybody been blessed and then you're already looking to the next blessing about two weeks later? God blessed me with my own apartment. Mm-hmm. And about two weeks in, I was like, I kind of want a house. I had to stop and go, hold on a second. I was living with my parents two weeks ago. I have my own place with a fireplace, all to myself. Mm. A TV was given to me. You know, like, I start thinking about what God did for me. Mm. I'm like, hold the phone. I'm already thinking about how I should be wanting to buy a house. What what is going on? Mm. So blessing from God is not what we are in it for. Those aren't the things that keep us steady. Even m- like major manifestation of God's presence and kingdom is not what keeps us steady. Hmm. It's not what keeps us rooted. Those are like love notes from God. Hmm. They're beautiful love notes. They're good things. But the chief motivating factor of, of loving Jesus and giving him 24-7 worship and prayer, it's how majestic he is. It's how wonderful he is, how kind he is, how beautiful he is. This is what keeps us going. Okay, everyone open your Bibles to Revelation 5. Or actually, you know what? Let's not do that. Colossians 1. So, in order for us to really stay true to loving the Lord, and I'm just using loving the Lord because that's a life of worship and adoration and prayer is is fruit of loving God. So, this is connected to night and day prayer, why we do what we do in this room, but it's also connected to why you choose to do the right thing when no one's looking. 
They're both very connected. We have to look at Jesus long enough, you guys, to feel the whirlwind of his identity. And we have to look at him long enough so that your heart starts burning for him the way the Father's heart burns for him. That's what I was saying earlier. Father, how do you feel about Jesus? Why do you love him so much? And he'll show you. He'll start to reveal to you and speak to you about the things that he loves about Jesus. He'll start to show you and start to move your heart the same way his heart moves over the way that Jesus was obedient to him on the earth. And here's what I mean by that. Imagine Jesus um, was probably accused and scorned and questioned by so many people. Could you imagine Jesus has healed? He, like there's not, there's not enough pages um, to be written about how many uh, miracles Jesus could do, right? But you know that there were people in the crowd going, well, why didn't Jesus heal my uncle? He came all the way from this town. Jesus didn't heal him. What's Jesus' problem? There's accusation that Jesus was going through. There were things that Jesus was going through, and yet he stayed faithful to the Father. And the Father loves Jesus' faithfulness and willingness to stay in step with him and obey him, even in those pressures. Like there's these, these glimpses that the Lord wants to reveal to us about his relationship with the Father, so our heart burns the same way. Why do I say that? John 17, Jesus says, Father, I desire that they would be one with me as you and I are one. Meaning that the big desire, the most, the greatest desire of God's heart is that you would be one with him. What is God's greatest desire? It's not that you are perfect and obedient. His greatest desire is that you would become one with him. Like you have a divine invitation. When you got saved, it wasn't just to get saved from burning. You got a grand invitation to join in with the Trinity in unity. Mm. You guys, did Come you hear on. what I just said? It's so good. The uncreated three-in-one alpha and omega, all-powerful God said, I really want you to know what love's like in this. Mm. This love triangle, that's not the right thing to say, but <laughs> just to give you a visual, the Lord goes, this is the best and most perfect expression of love and I'm so generous and good, I'm inviting weak, broken people into it. I'm going to demonstrate for the ages how magnificent my love is. And God didn't go, I need perfect people to enter into this perfect love. He goes, no, I'm going to have busted people come into this perfect love. And it's going to shout for ages to come about how wonderful I am. We need Jesus to confront our hearts with who he is. We cannot, I love this, I think it's a C.S. Lewis quote that says, um, I, I want God, not my idea of God. Oh, that's good. Like, we have to die to our own idea of God. I always say that we put Jesus in a little, our own little Jesus box, and we go, I think this is where Jesus is at, and this makes sense to me, so I'm just going to keep him in my little box. We need Jesus to explode our box <laughs> and, and show us what he's really like because he's incomprehensible how wonderful he is so unfortunately a lot of times we dilute Jesus until he fits into our pale and lame conceptions of him 
We've, we've made him like us. I think he was human, but he was not like us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he was like us, but he wasn't like us. Sometimes I think people get too comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. He understands everything we walk through because he became like us, but he is other than. He is so other than. A lot of people want him to be palatable or presentable so we can get along with him and everybody will like him. Jesus doesn't negotiate with us about who he is. When you and I get more of an idea of who Jesus is, have any of you sat in this room and all of a sudden God shows you something in the scripture that you haven't understood about him? Or he reveals his love to you in a new way? Yes? Okay, that those moments are what you live for, you guys. Those are the little moments where your heart is alive, alone with the Lord like that. That's what you live for. That, those are the sweetest moments. It's not about the grand, I'm on my face weeping. You know, the times that I remember most are where the Lord just met me in my, in my own heart, just me and him, just one-on-one, and I just felt his soothing presence when he revealed something new about himself to me. But when you and I get more of an idea of who he is, it should be shocking and gripping. And we should burn on the inside with heavenly life. It should energize your spirit when you encounter more of who he is. You should feel energized on the inside. If you feel bad about yourself when you encounter more about who God is, you got to lay that down because you're taking more of agreement in what and how you view yourself in front of him rather than like who he is. Does that make sense? Well, or yeah. even the enemy will get in there and he'll, and Jesus goes, I'm perfect and holy. And you go, oh, I'm ugly and terrible. Turn away from me. He goes, no, that's the, the crazy thing is that I'm beautiful and holy and you are mine. Mm. See how the enemy wants to sneak in there and go, yeah, he's this and you're totally that. Look at that. It's the enemy wants to do. We can't think that way. Mm. The knowledge of Jesus defeats all of our capacities to understand. How do you comprehend one who is un, whose understanding is unsearchable? Ephesians 3.8 says the unsearchable riches of Christ um, bounce around here. It says we have boldness and confidence through him in faith that we may comprehend and know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. How do you know something that passes knowledge? Mm. <laughs> yeah. I have an idea. This is just an idea. It's because when the revelation of Jesus encounters you, it doesn't just hit what you know here. Mm -hmm. It touches what you know in your heart and in your spirit as well. It hits Mm -hmm. all three levels, and then it even speaks to your own body sometimes. Mm -hmm. When Jesus reveals who he is, it brings truth and revelation to your mind, to your heart, to your soul, and then even to your body sometimes when you're sick or you're in pain, or you're dealing with injury, and the Lord loses his justice over your body, he's actually revealing himself to, to, to know him completely. Isn't that crazy to think about? Yeah. So it's not just here. Mm-hmm. It's not a knowing here. It's a deep knowing and experiential knowing and truth that gets written on all the levels of your being. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's turn the page. Well, I'm turning the page. You guys don't have one. Jesus is the highest revelation of the Father 
to man, and he is the highest revelation of man to the Father. Jesus is the expression of God who has always been. No other revealing is needed. Okay, so you're all open to Colossians 1, 15 through 20, right? Okay, let's save that. What we're going to do right now is I want to talk about Jesus in the Old Testament. So I need everyone to look up a scripture for me. Do you need to do some push-ups? Are you live? You good? I'm putting you to sleep. Do some jumping jacks or something. Okay. So go for Genesis 18. Okay. Michaela, Judges 13, 3. Olivia, Genesis 32, 22 through 32. <laughs> yes. Natalie, Joshua five thirteen through seven. Denisa, did I say it right? Denisa, Denisa, Denisa. Um, What is it? Joshua 5, 13 through 7. Yep. Exodus 3, 2 through 6. Okay, you guys let me know when you get there. 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 Judges 13, 3 through 22. Um, you're there? Oh, you told me it was Genesis 18. Yeah, I know. Let me... Here, let me, let me, I'll tell you. Let me just look real quick. I thought I had it down, but... You guys, this is one of my favorite things to do in this class, and I do have to do it really quick when I teach it. Also, we're going to take our time and just work through this. How does that sound? Mm -hmm. What's that? Yes. Come on. These are called, well, I'll wait. Um, Were you in Exodus, Exodus 3, 2 through 6. Oh, yeah, Exodus. Amy, do you want to look up one? Sure. Um, let's do Exodus, um, oh, Genesis 16, 7 through 14. Genesis 16, 7 through 14? Yes. <coughs> And then I said to you, Jordan. Yeah, let me let me get there. It's gonna be like I can um, you're gonna read one through um, sixteen. It's a lot. So I'm, what's, what, this is how it's going to go. Is I'm going to stop you and point things out, and you're going to keep reading. But just stick with me in this. I promise you, this is going to. This is. It's it's awesome. Okay, so go for it. Start us off. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, <laughs> as he sat at the door of his tent. Okay, pause. Everyone, take note. What did it say? Verse one. Then the. Lord appeared. Appeared. Okay, keep going. Oh, okay. 
Okay, pause. How many men? Three. 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 Okay, keep going. We're standing in front of him when he <laughs> He ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed, him, bowed himself to the earth and said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on. Since you have come to, the, to your servant, so they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent of Sarah and said, quick, three sins of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man to prepare it quickly. Okay, pause. Go ahead and jump down to nine. Okay. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. Okay, pause. Who said that? How many men? Three. Three men. Are you agitated yet by me? No, no, no. Okay, keep going. Um, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed? Sorry, indeed bear a child now that I am old. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Okay, pause. So look, so here's what we have so far, right? So the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth tree and the uh, trees of Mamre. Okay? And then, the, but there's three men. Okay? So it's kind of like there's this mystery going on. Mm -hmm. The Lord appeared to him, but there's three men. Mm -hmm. The three men are there in the tent, and the Lord tells Abraham, Your, Sarah's going to have a son. And within herself, which is what my version says, New King James, says within herself she thought or said, this is impossible. This is ridiculous. She's laughing. Within herself. She didn't say that out loud. She didn't whisper it. This is within herself. And then the Lord says, why does Sarah laugh when I say this? I'll be back to visit you later and she'll have a baby. Wow. Okay? So, and, and the Lord didn't say that to Sarah. He said that to who? Abraham. Mm. Okay? So, go ahead and keep reading um, on verse 16. Oh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I, what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed with for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so the Lord may bring to Abraham what he had promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very great, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Okay, this is really important, verse 22. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> so the men turned from the Lord and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Okay, pause. Just keep that right there. Okay, we're gonna skip. We're gonna skip to nineteen. Oh, Okay, I'm gonna read this part. It says, "Now the two angels came to um, Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom." 
When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed before himself, face toward the ground, and he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Okay, this is what's amazing. It says, Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before who? The Lord. And Abraham came near, came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous and the wicked? Right? And so Abraham negotiates with God. He says, Lord, if there's one man who's righteous, you know, he works his way down. What if there's a hundred? If there's fifty? If there's ten? If there's one? And the Lord is still standing with Abraham. But then if you look at ver uh, chapter 19, how many, how many angels went to Sodom? Just two. I thought there were three men, though. And chapter 18. So what's going on here? The Lord has a physical body and appeared to Abraham, and they had a conversation face-to-face -face about, about Sodom and Gomorrah? It's interesting. Okay, let's do our next one. Um, Genesis Described in Genesis 18 with Abraham, and here's another man being described mm -hmm. with Jacob. Go ahead. Jacob says, he goes, I've seen God face to face, and I'm not dead. Yeah. Okay, that's significant because face to face in Hebrew, really, typically when you see that in scripture, it means an intimate interaction with God. It means you've seen someone closely. It doesn't necessarily always mean a physical experience, okay? It can sometimes mean just an intimate thing. But we see that Jacob actually was physically wrestling with a man. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't all of a sudden just switch to be, you know, metaphoric. Mm -hmm. Okay? It's a literal thing. And he says, I've seen God face to face. But this is also the point I want you to keep in mind, too, is that he says, what's your name? Yeah. That's the question that comes out of Jacob. Tell me your name. I'm not letting you go till you bless me. And tell me your name because there's something different about you. Mm -hmm. And he goes, what is my name that it would be so wonderful for you to know? Mm. Okay, let's look at Judges 13. Who's got that? Uh, this one is one wait, of my no, favorite. No, 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 I, know. I, I, have, I think I have to. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> Judges 13, 3 through 22. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. 
Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Okay, so pause. So verse 3 starts off with, And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. Okay, just highlight that. Okay, keep going. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looks like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, You will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. Okay, pause right there. What does he say? The man of God. Mm-hmm. Right, why am I being so ridiculous about pointing mm-hmm. all this stuff out? You guys, this stuff is in your Bible, and have you seen this before? Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that there's a literal person wrestling. Mm-hmm. They've seen him face to face. He's described as a man. You know how exciting this is? Yeah. This is so exciting. Mm-hmm. And I'll explain why in a second. But these are the things, like, we can't just read through our Bible. Yeah, cool story. Like, it just keeps on getting better. Mm-hmm. So let me see if I... Um, Okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just go ahead. Keep okay. Sorry. I just, I love the whole thing. I could look at these all day. So, go for it. Um, God heard Manila and the angel of God came again to the woman, woman while she was out in the field. But her husband, Manila, was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, He's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manila got up and followed his wife. Then he came to the, to the man He said, Are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, When your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all that I have told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine or drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, We would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, Even though you detain me, I do not eat any of your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Okay. I love that. It's beyond understanding. How can you comprehend something un- Unknowing. Did we just reference that in Ephesians 3? Mm-hmm. He says, what is it to you, my name? It's so wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that makes my heart burn when I think about that. Like, how fun is the Lord? Mm-hmm. You know, giveaway. It's Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. I think we all are mm-hmm. seeing that. But it's like, how fun is Jesus? Mm-hmm. That they go, let us detain you. Don't leave us. And he goes... And offer me an offering. Offer the Lord an offering. What's your name? Oh, wouldn't you like to know my name? It's so mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. 
can't reveal it to you yet. Mm. <laughs> Can you imagine if he's like, my name's Jesus? <laughs> they would be like, that's the, but it's, he's referenced as what? The angel of the Lord or man of God. Isn't it interesting that they go, bring us that man of, tell the man of God to come back and visit us again. The man of God. They knew he was angelic. Mm-hmm. That he was different, that he was glory glorified. Mm-hmm. But they said, Tell Lord, bring that man back to us again. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna have you skip to verse twenty-two. Or actually, hold on, I'm sorry. Let me see. Nineteen. Go to nineteen. Okay. Then Manila took the young goat together with the grain offering, sacrificed it on the rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manila and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar towards heaven, the angel of the Lord descended in the flame. Okay, can we just appreciate this? Think about this. An angel visits you. He's glorified. His eyes are probably like fire. His hair is probably white like wool. Mm-hmm. He's gentle, and he's willing to come back if you ask him. Mm-hmm. He comes back a second time to visit you. And then he's like, give me a sacrifice. And they go, okay, we'll do it. And while they're doing the sacrifice, he takes off like Superman in flame and fire off of the altar, you guys. Mm. Just, I just picture like, we've got these superheroes, right? Wow, it's so cool. Like, look at Thor. Like, I love Thor, okay? <laughs> but like, this is the Lord shows up and goes, isn't my name so wonderful that you would love to know? And he goes, why don't you build me an altar and make a sacrifice and then I'm going to explode in fire and ascend into the heavens I mean what an experience if we sit and think about this how close and near he came to people like what does it tell you when we read this it's not just about his how cool it is it's what does it tell you about him as a person these interactions he has are you looking closer at the scripture more than, yeah, that's cool, he just ascended in flame and fire, it's kind of this, you know, like Greek mythology. No, this tells us something about his personality. And then in verse 22, if you want to read that. Okay, he says, we're going to die, for we have seen God. <laughs> it, in the Jewish Hebrew culture, you don't see God mm-hmm. and make it. That is really, like, God in Exodus 33, I think, or maybe it's 26 or something like that. God just shows uh, Moses his backside. He literally shows him his backside. That's how it's translated in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. He can't even show him his face because the dude would have died. He goes, I'll just pass in front of you. You can see my backside. That'll be enough glory for you. I wish my backside had that much glory. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 what is that? Like, that's actually how it's described, is they just see his backside, and he hides in the cleft of the rock because he's just probably so undone by the Lord just scooting past him. I love that. Oh, we're dead. We just saw him. There's no miscommunication here. They didn't, they didn't say, whoa, we saw Gabriel and we're going to die. Mm-hmm. No, you, wouldn't, yeah. you can see angels and you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But when you see God, a man of God, the mystery of God, mm-hmm. appear to you closely and talk to you about your child, mm-hmm. 
God himself showed up to talk to them. God didn't send Gabriel or one of the millions of angels. He himself, what does it tell you about him? And yet he preserved the mystery of what was to come. You guys see how beautiful this story is? Like, I just picture Jesus being like, oh, I just want to show them who I am. I'm so, Father, can I go? Can I go tell them about this? I feel like the Father's like, isn't this so fun? Go just give them a glimpse of who we are. And I just, I get moved by that because I feel like the Lord is so, he so wants us near and wants interaction with us. This to me isn't just as, you know, about him going up in flame. This is like, oh, you desire to be near me. Desires to be near you. And he's willing to do what he needs to do to get there and, and still maintain the mystery. It is just, the mystery is what makes this beautiful. So good. Okay, let's do it. Joshua 5 13 through 17. There's no like 16 and 17. There's not? It's only going Oh, 15 then. Sorry. I'll correct my notes. I don't know why I said something. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, I am, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Okay. So, my version says this. A man with a sword in hand appeared to Joshua before the fall of Jericho. He identified himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. There's one commander. Joshua immediately fell to his face and worshipped the man. Also something you don't do if you are Hebrew or Jewish. You don't worship anything with form. And what do we see happen in all of these encounters? They fall to the ground. And this is what's crazy. It says this. And the commander said, take off your sandals. Your feet are for the place where you're standing on. Is holy. It's not holy because an angel shows up, guys. There's, there's one who's holy, right? These things we're talking about are called Christophanies. Mm. It's where Jesus makes an appearance. Mm. If you go look at Luke 24, mm. and Jesus um, hangs out with the, ro- on the, with the guys on the road to Emmaus, mm. and they can't recognize him because it's post uh, his resurrection, it gets me so excited because they're talking with him, and they also try to keep him. They're like, don't leave, stay with us. And Jesus goes and reveals himself a little bit later, and then they they get it. They go, did our hearts not burn when he opened the scriptures up to us? Mm-hmm. What was Jesus showing them when they were hanging out? I think Jesus was showing them Judges 13, Genesis 18, mm-hmm. Exodus 3, which we're going to have you read in just a second. Because he's so, I mean, when we read this stuff, your heart should burn. Your heart should burn in wonder. Who are you? What have you been doing? Jesus didn't just come as a baby. That's not when he showed up on the scene. He's always been. He is the ancient of days. Yeah. 
And who is this person you're interacting with daily? You're singing songs to them. Okay, go ahead and read that Exodus 3. This is just the, and then Amy will have you go. Okay. Exodus 3, verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Okay, pause. The bush was burning with fire, but it wasn't consumed. It wasn't, it wasn't burning. Okay, just something to point out. Keep going. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see the great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not draw near to this place. Take off your sandals. Take the sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Okay, pause right there. So what do we see? It says that the that the angel of the Lord appeared in the midst of the bush. The angel of the Lord. This is really important because scholars debate on this. You guys, I did my I did my college capstone on this, and I got the New Testament scholars that I learned from and the Old Testament scholars to argue in my presentation. It was awesome. Mm. New Testament was like, this is Jesus. Old Testament, some of them were like, this isn't Jesus. We can't say that for sure. Mm. And they're arguing over this. Is the angel of the Lord Jesus was the question. Mm. Well, God is speaking from the midst of the bush. It says that God said, and it says that the angel of the Lord stood in the midst of the bush. Mm. So there's things that were going, okay, this is seems like Jesus. Significant, right? And then what does he go on to say? He goes, take off your shoes, bro. It's holy ground. Mm -hmm. So why, I'm pointing out all this so you guys can start to look.